Well, hey, welcome everybody who is joining us either for our Saturday evening service or one of our Sunday morning services. It is so great to have you here with us today. Uh, my name is Jason Miller. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Zion, and we are coming into our final week of Advent as we're preparing for Christmas Eve. Now, I know we're not doing in-person services, and I understand there's a lot of concerns and people want to know why. And I want to tell you, this was not an easy decision for us. It was one that, quite frankly, we made given the current state of things, but more importantly, doing the best we can to love and care for our neighbors and for each other. Um, just a, a quick reminder, we have multiple services throughout Christmas Eve, throughout the day, but this Sunday, you can actually pick up your Christmas Eve box. Now, let me tell you a little bit what's going to be in this. Uh, so it's going to be at the dock after the, after the 1030 service, so about 1130. You can drive in through the dock overhang like we've done communion and other things. And in that box, you're going to have communion for Christmas Eve service, a Christmas Eve candle, along with some kids' activities, and a few other things as well. There's also going to be a time for prayer, coffee, and hot cocoa. So our hope is that we will see you after the 1030 service at the drive through overhang here at the dock. Um, last week, we looked at joy, joy in this Advent series. And we talked about four ways that we as followers, disciples of Jesus, can experience joy, especially in times when it's difficult. And we all know that apart from this season, corona and quarantine and the uncertainty of everything going on, Sometimes the holidays can be difficult for people across the board, in spite of everything that's going on. In fact, statistics tell us that the holidays, for those who struggle with depression or who feel loneliness, the holidays can be some of the most difficult times. So when we talk about joy, we realize that we need practical tips, practical ways to experience it. And so here are the four things we talked about last week, and then we're going to get into today. First, the disciples' joy ultimately comes from our hope in Jesus. And while Jesus' kingdom is already here, it's not fully established. We know that one day Jesus is going to return. And when he does, he's going to bring the world to right. Our hope is that King Jesus and his kingdom will be fully realized one day. Joy, second, joy comes from the power we receive from our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We actually have the Holy Spirit in us. We can develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We can pray and get to know Him and hear His heart. And in the midst of that, we find joy even in the most difficult of circumstances. Uh, third, joy comes from living for Jesus and obeying His commands. Now, this is the one that sometimes feels difficult for us as Christians because often we're taught that the commands of Jesus are hard. But they're really quite simple if you think about it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself and love one another. Paul actually says that if you love, you fulfill, you obey all the commands. That's actually the hardest thing to do is to be able to love well. Last week, I actually gave a challenge to those who are willing to take it to go into the community and be a blessing to somebody as an act of obedience to the Lord, sacrificial love for those in our community. And if you took that challenge, here's what I want you to do. Just share it in the comments. Just share right now or throughout this message. Share in the comments. How, how did you take that challenge? How did you bring the joy of your relationship with Jesus into our community? And then lastly, joy even comes through trials and hardships. And that's probably the hardest one of all because so often we think joy is circumstantial. 
God uses trials and suffering to show us how we've grown, but also to show us where we need to continue to grow, to develop in Him, because we're not meant to do this alone. We're meant to do this in relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with each other. Now, the last week of Advent, as we're coming in preparing for Christmas, is all about love. I would dare say one of the most familiar, most popular verses about God's love is found in John 3.16. And I know most of you probably know it, even if you're not a Christian. If you weren't raised in church, especially in the 80s and 90s, where people held up signs with John 3.16 at sporting events. But you're probably familiar with the verse that says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I don't know if you've read the next verse. It says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Now, I want to take a moment to talk about these verses, particularly the first part. What does it mean to say that God so loved the world? Some people have this picture of God as being this grumpy old man in the sky with a white beard and a robe, pointing a finger and just shaming us and waiting to send people to hell or judge us for what we do wrong. But that's more of an image from Renaissance art than it is from the Bible itself. In fact, the Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.9, he echoes John 3.16 and 17 and he says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you and me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's love, He loves us so much that instead of just reacting, He's patient. In fact, sometimes we get frustrated because we want God to act now. We want God to bring justice now. And yet God says He loves us so much that He's willing to endure out of love to give people time to come to Him, to repent, to turn back to Him. I've often asked this question and have been asked, why didn't God act sooner? Why didn't right after Adam and Eve sinned, why didn't God just rectify the problem right there? Why did he wait so long? Why did it take thousands of years for Jesus to come to the world? And now we're asking a similar question. Why has it been 2,000 years since Jesus was resurrected? Why so long? But here's what we know. The Bible tells us that God's time is not ours. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is, by the way, the Lord talking to His people. <laughs> For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't think like we do. God sees the big picture. He sees everything. He is ultimately wise. He is outside of time. We are limited in what we understand. But here is the driving force, the driving thought behind God's love for the world found in Scripture. And I actually want to point us back to the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word that actually encapsulates so much bigger than just the word love. In fact, love is not enough to describe God's love, the word itself. It's this word chesed. Now, in the Hebrew, you have to sound kind of glottial, chesed. It's, but I'm just going to say chesed because every time I do it the way it's supposed to be, it kind of hurts my throat. Hased in the Hebrew language is a rich word. It's so rich that it's not just love. It comes with a myriad, a whole bunch of different things that, that are trying to explain God's hased love for His people. If I were to ask you, do you love your children or your husband or, or, or your grandmother? Do you love them all the same? 
Do you love your children like you love your husband? I certainly hope not. Do you love your grandmother the way you love your next door neighbor? No, love has different forms and different meanings because how we describe love and how we work through love is situational. And this word has said is kind of a catch-all. It's a way of looking at the big love of God. After all, do you love God like you love chocolate or a rainy day or your favorite movie? In her book, Walking in the Dust of the Rabbi, Lois Verberg describes the word hesed this way. Listen to what she writes. Hebrew has a word for love that is richer and deeper than English has ever conceived of, hesed. Based in a covenantal relationship, hesed is a steadfast, rock-solid faithfulness that endures to eternity. She then goes on to say, hesed love that is so enduring that it persists beyond any sin or betrayal to mend brokenness and graciously extend forgiveness. This is God's love for us. Like other Hebrew verbs, hesed is not just a feeling, but an action. It intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. Because hesed is often active, it's sometimes translated as mercy or loving kindness. But neither of these words fully convey that hesed acts out of unswerving loyalty, even to the most undeserving. This is God's love. Hesed is a bone-weary father who drives through the night to bail his drug-addicted son out of jail. Hesed is a mom who spends day after thankless day spoon-feeding and wiping up her disabled child. Hesed is an unsung pastor's wife whose long-suffering, tearful prayers keep her exhausted husband from failing, falling apart at the seams. Hesed love is love that can be counted on decade after decade, decade, generation after generation. It's not about the thrill of romance, but the security of faithfulness. Hesed love is the son coming to rescue his creation. Another author and singer-songwriter, a guy named Michael Card, in his book Inexpressible, says this, In the Hebrew mind, hesed is always something you do. It is a verb. It is loading wounded people on donkeys, running to greet runaway children, forgiving enormous debts, paying someone who worked an hour as much as the one who worked all day, giving a party to those who can't pay you back. The list of words used to define or understand hesed is long. Here's just a few of them, and I mean a few. The list is very long. Love, loving kindness, merciful love, loyal love, relentless love, enduring love, dependable love, covenantal love, commitment, friendship, unswerving and unfailing, faithful, goodwill, a bedrock, charity, favor, devotion, grace, and extravagant. That's hesed. For God so hesed the world. Which leads me to the next part of the verse. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Giving is an action. Now, often when we think about for God so loved the world, we often replace God with just the Father. This is why it's so important that we have a good understanding of the Trinity. The Trinity tells us that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in one substance. It's a mystery we cannot fathom. They are not three separate gods who make one God. They are one God who comes with three distinct personalities and persons. But they are one substance. That means, now check this out. As I was studying and preparing and thinking about this message it was not like God the Father made a decision apart from God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. It's not like the Father and the Holy Spirit 
outnumbered Jesus and it was a two to three vote and said, oh, sorry, Jesus, you got to go. No, Jesus was not forced to come to earth apart. He knew what he was doing. He was part of the decision because when it says that God so loved the world, it means the wholeness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loved the world. Jesus knew exactly what he was getting into. Philippians 2 reminds us that Jesus forsook his status as God to become like us. All three participated in this incredible act of love. The Father sent the Son. The Son was conceived in the womb in the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus came in physical form to be like us, to rescue us. But the question is why? Why did Jesus come? It was so much more than just a feeling of love. It was God's said love in action that sent Jesus. But there was a side of love that sometimes we can forget that brought Jesus into the world. Why Jesus came as a child and not just as a warrior king. Why he experienced the pains of childbirth, grew up in a poverty-filled home under Roman oppression, had to learn how to crawl, walk, and talk. He went to school. He also probably skinned his knee like the rest of us did and cried in his mother's arms. When, how, I wonder if he said his own name in vain when he hit his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> I mean, think about that for a minute. Jesus experienced all of our humanity. Even the hard stuff. He experienced ridicule. He experienced being made fun of, people taunting him. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus is with his disciples, it always says they walked. Normally, a king, someone in higher status, rode a horse while those under him walked. But no, Jesus walked with his disciples. Jesus' feet were just as blistered, covered in dirt and mud and all the yuckiness that was in the roads. Why? Because Jesus experienced fullness of humanity. When we look at Jesus, we see Hased. He experienced everything we as humans do. Because real love is more than a feeling. Real love is love in action. Now, when it says that love steps into the messiness of life, Christmas, Advent reminds us that God loves us so much, He gets all up in our business. <laughs> I mean, imagine this for a moment. God loves us so much that he literally comes face to face with our brokenness. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't stay distant. He's not absent. He's there with us. When my children get hurt or are sad, I don't ask them to step up on a chair to come face to face with me. I go down to them. I sit on the edge of their bed and rub their back. I hold my children in those difficult times because I love them. I hold them in those times because I want them to know I'm here. Jesus comes, Christmas reminds us that God is here. I don't just tell my children everything will be okay. I show them that I will be with them in it so they'll be okay. This is the love of God. Another word to describe this kind of love is empathy. Now, for years, I didn't understand the difference between sympathy and empathy. And because of work by doctors like Brene Brown and other people, I think our culture has become more and more aware of the power of empathy. But listen to a basic definition. Sympathy acknowledge and even understand someone's pain and suffering, but it keeps their pain and suffering at a distance. It's mental. It's clinical. It's looking at somebody who's hurting and going, oh, I'm so sorry. That must be really rough. Empathy 
not only acknowledges pain, but listens. It sits with you in it. It's emotional and relational in nature. The author of Hebrews reminds us in four, uh, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, that high priest is Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Now, some translations actually don't use the word empathize. They say sympathize. But here's why I think they do it. I think some people are uncomfortable with a God who is fully human and fully God. I think they're uncomfortable with a Jesus who experienced humanity, not from a distance, but up close. Empathy is up close. Jesus' said love made him go to us to come into our brokenness, to experience everything we did. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus experienced temptation, but here's the difference. Because he was fully God and fully man, he did not have a sin nature. Did you know this is part of the reason why the Holy Spirit had to lead him into the desert to be tempted? Jesus didn't have temptation within him like you and I do. Satan had to bring the temptation because unlike us, Jesus was fully God and fully man. We're just fully man. We have an internal temptation as well as the external from things like Satan and the enemy and the world around us, but not Jesus. Jesus had the fullness and the humanity, the human experience, but he also had the power of the Holy Spirit perfectly within him so he could resist temptation with the help of the Holy Spirit and his nature. But he is not a stranger to the human experience. He understands. He saw firsthand how difficult it is to be humans. He didn't stay up in heaven to be distant from us. He came to be with us. Why? Because Hased love is love in action. It's so much bigger than a feeling. Jesus doesn't stand on the sidelines. Jesus put himself right in the crosshairs of the devil and his enemies because you and I are in the crosshairs of the devil. Because you and I are in the crosshairs of sin and Jesus came to empathize with us. Now listen to what he then says in verse 16. Ready? Hebrews 4, 16. Because Jesus is our empathetic high priest, because he experienced everything we did, he now goes to heaven. And because of this, we can approach the throne of God, the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Did you know why we can do it? Why we can approach Jesus with confidence? Because he's not surprised by anything we bring. It's not like Jesus is going to get new information and then say, oh, I better take that grace thing back. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your greatest failures. He knows your greatest successes. And he loves you the same. Because you can't earn God's love. It's a gift, a grace gift given by God, shown in the person of Jesus. Jesus became man, not the Father, not the Spirit. Jesus became man, which is why he intercedes on behalf of us. He says to the Father and the Spirit, hey, I know what it's like to be human. I've been human. He loves us. He empathizes with us. He knows our brokenness and he loves us. Jesus' love has teeth to it. Now listen to that again. Jesus' love has teeth to it. When you encounter the radical mercy and love of Jesus in action, it'll always leave a mark. I love that. 
the love of Christ, the chesed of, of, of Jesus, when you're bitten by it, when you experience it, it's going to leave a mark in your life. You're never going to be the same. So what does this mean for you and me during this Advent season? What does this look like as we are called to be the church? How should God's love impact us as a church, as a community? It's simple. As we prepare for the final days before Christmas, we are challenged to ask a couple questions. Instead of what does love feel like, we should ask what does love look like? Too often we think love is a feeling. We should be asking what does love look like? How does love act? Now I want to tell you there's, there's actually some practical applications for this even right now. I know many people... Um, they're going out and saying, oh, we, sh we should get to do things because why do we want Christmas Eve services in person? Part of it is we enjoy the experience. We enjoy the feeling. But our love for Jesus is not dependent upon a location. It's dependent upon a relationship. And so as we come into Christmas Eve, we have the opportunity to ask the deeper question, how do we live out the heart of Advent, the heart of of a Jesus who showed us, has said in the world around us. We as the church are the body of Christ. And guess what? Healthy bodies move. They're engaged with one another, with our neighborhood and communities and church. Healthy bodies are active. If somebody's just sitting on the couch all the time and doing nothing, we don't say that's healthy. Healthy bodies are active in nature. We as the church are called to be active in nature, to act out God's love in the world around us. How does the world know God loves them? Through you and through me. It's by how we extend His said love into action. How we love our neighbors, how we love God publicly, how we love the church, how we love our families and our spouses and our children, how we love our co-workers, all the people around us. What if John 3.16 read this? This is a new translation from Jason. It's not in the Bible. I'm just going to tell you. But I think the spirit of it is. For God so loved the world that he gave the world his people, his church. Jesus' body is not just about to talk about love. We're called to demonstrate love. That's the heart of Christmas and Advent. Would you pray with me? <sighs> Father, your said love it's, if we really even sit and think about it for a moment, it's overwhelming. It's not just a feeling, yes, you have feelings of love towards us, but you have grace and mercy, loving kindness. You are our friend. You are, you are so much bigger than we can possibly fathom, and, and yet you've called us to be an extent, extension of that has said into the world that we would embody, we would be the hands and feet, the eyes, the ears, the mouth of Jesus to a hurt world, a broken world. But even in our church community, there are those in our church, in our family, in our, the city around us who are struggling and hurting. May we know how to love them best. May we learn how to empathize, to not be at a distance, but to come close because that's what you've done for us. Lord, we love you. And we praise you. And Jesus, thank you so much for the greatest gift you gave us that you entered into our experience and that you intercede on behalf of us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you, and you fill us and that you give us power and strength and wisdom on how to live. Bless us today in Jesus' name. Everybody said.
Amen. Receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May you find yourself overwhelmed by the Hesed love of God. Thank you for watching. Have an amazing day.